Another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. We are happy to be with you guys because when you're listening to this and when this podcast is released, there will only be three weeks exactly until the start of the regular season against the New York Knicks, which is kind of nuts. We had media day here in Memphis yesterday, and we are here at the Grizz Den Pod to bring you our reactions to media day and to get a primer on the books for the the regular season and the preseason. We'll talk a little bit about what we're going to see there, too. Uh, Ty is in the building. Happy to be here. This is a tight space. It's a tight space. We're 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 in the studio. Walker Financial Management sponsor. We are intimately close tonight. We are. (laughs) Uh, Kraft is here. I'm also glad to be here. (laughs) And Brantley is here in spirit. Um, I'm sure he will be listening to this and then have some reactions and takes on the next podcast that we do, uh, which if you're looking ahead, we've got a few more pods, hopefully in us before the start of the, uh, start of the regular season. And we also have some, you know, potential other stuff coming up. Grizzden related that we're going to be really excited to announce here soon. Um, so it's going to be a great season all around and we're going to get into the media day discussion. And I want to, tee off this discussion by saying, guys, when you are following Media Day and when you're reacting to it, when you're consuming it, what is the most interesting part of the whole experience to you? And Kraft, I'll start with you. Yeah, so uh I mean the the two so two things come out. The first one's very quick, which is just um almost uh no news is good news. So there's a sense in which nothing um, no big headline like, um, you know, uh, some players walking in with a cast, uh, you know, mm. somebody says something controversial, mm. um, we're dealing with some, you know, everybody's going to be talking about one question, stuff you see in other training camps going on the, the last couple days. So that's the big, that there was just no news like that. The, the second thing that really I'm looking for is just kind of sort of themes, uh, the, so I mean I guess to another better phrase just kind of the vibes the the vibes the culture um, of training camp how's everybody feeling you know uh, what are sort of the what are the thing words I'm hearing from multiple players coaches general managers those sorts of things so that's general what I'm looking for uh, when I when I'm watching kind of you know what are the Guess what the tone is being set at the very beginning of training camp. What do you think, Doc? I think that's the only thing you really can take, to be honest, is you're almost like reading body language and reading tone because no one in the Grizzlies organization is really going to tell you much of anything. Like, for instance, we'll I'm sure hint on this later, but, like, who's going to start at the four? Like, I mean, I think Jenkins threw out, like, every possible option on the roster as, like, an option. So you're not going to get much, right? Player interviews are also like, I feel great. I'm ready. Like, Jaron's like, it won't be opening night, but you'll like it. It's like, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know anything what that means. 
Um, so you kind of have to take what they say with a grain of salt, obviously. So I think that's the biggest thing is vibes, how things are said more so than what is exactly said. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of the, the things I'm looking for. And the, yeah, the vibes are good. The yes, vibes are yeah. Great. So and I didn't give an opinion on right. what I thought, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the big thing that made me just, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Grizzlies of dancing on the sidelines, all the fun highlights and clips uh, that I've been watching the last three months dealing with withdrawal from the NBA season being over, um, that just the same group, they look like they're back, you know, and still feeling those feelings, and that's really encouraging for me. Yeah, I love when uh, Zach Kleiman gets up at a press conference and, and speaks because it's rare, and I feel like media day – like you were saying, Kraft, what, and what I was thinking going into this question is, yeah, what are what are the things, uh, what are the themes of the season going to be? What are what are the uh, particular word choice you know that he's going to choose to use? And I remember last year the thing that we were reacting to was you know he he at the end of the press conference stopped everyone and said, I haven't gotten a question about John Morant, and why is that? John Morant's going to be an All Star this year, and that was one of those things that you don't expect to hear. And I think that the way in which Kleiman speaks versus Jenkins is always interesting too. Cause Jenkins is, I mean, he's not a very interesting press conference ever. Uh, it's going to be the same coach speak. He'll have a few different things here and there that you might latch onto, but Kleiman is pretty, I mean, he wears a lot on his sleeve, uh, you know, but is also measured at the same time. And so when you do have him speak, I think there is always something to draw from it which is what excites me the most about Media Day. Everything after that, like all the fanfare, obviously it's fun to see the players uh, in their jerseys. It's funny to see who looks like they're in shape, who's gained weight, who's lost weight. Uh, We might discuss that a little bit more in this podcast. Uh, And all the pictures that are being taken, and you get to see some behind the scenes on, you know, some of the stuff that's going to be on the Jumbotron during timeouts and things like that. So it's a big day for like the social marketing side uh but i think you know all of us here in this room it seems like we're most excited about the basketball side which is appropriate so also excited that it seems like we have we have thankfully punted on mem this amen and and moved into a big Big memphis Memphis. which i love yeah and we actually had a national writer not semi-national he primarily focuses on the timberwolves but he works for the athletic john i think his last name is krasinski maybe yeah he was in the office basically tweeted like a retweeted quote tweeted that big memphis promo was like they always get this right like memphis knows it's city they're doing this so well so just mem this just r.i.p hopefully for years to come (laughs) just let it let it go let it die i love the self-awareness that this team has (laughs) it's so good no from top down we know what we're getting like continuity is not something that everybody has and we have it which is great uh but a lot of changes too so um Speaking of that, I wanted to, I, I looked up the outline from last year's podcast and I want I want to read to y'all like the top five questions we had going into the season. And this is oh a good gosh. frame. Our questions we have like this season might look as silly next year. It just is crazy the year the, the difference a year makes. Um, the number one question was reasonable because we were waiting on the Jaron Jackson Jr. contract extension. It has been signed be? at the point. Yeah. What's the contract extension and will Jaron emerge as the, a consistent number two option? You know, 
Interesting question. Uh, he definitely was the number one defensive option. He was arguably uh, two or three in the offensive pecking order, but uh, closer to three probably. But the second question was, will Desmond Bain or Kyle Anderson start? Oh, man. And arguing about Desmond Bain as a starter, looking back now, knowing what we know, is really funny. Um, that is hilarious. The third question was, will Brandon Clark or DeAnthony Melton prove that they are playoff rotation caliber? Interesting question. One of them was answered, I'd yeah. say. BC, One of them was clearly and not. And, and yeah, it was not answered, but answered for our front office, yes. which was no. Answered, answered and no. <laughs> yes. And then this is a great question, and I can't wait to read it for you. Who will win the minutes battle between Zaire Williams and Jarrett Culver? Oh, so I'm going to I'm going to tap myself on the head because I, I got this is a terrible thing. I essentially tried to compare the Culver trade to what we did with Melton. And I really thought we were going to like play him significant, not significant, well, but I thought we were going to play him minutes. If you looked sure. at the situation, obviously Zaire is this rookie who has so unproven. We had no idea what we were getting, and Culver was a guy on his last year of his contract. That who is. we all thought that the front office like really liked, yeah. Because apparently, like that draft, even like Chris Vernon had said, we had our eyes set on him if Jaron wasn't available or something like that. Yeah, but. Pretty funny. Oh, man, bad take. Way down the list, we had, will the Grizzlies retain Sam Merrill or Chris Dunn? Neither! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, good times. Good times. We've come a long way in a year. Um, okay, let's start on our our, our prompt, which is uh, the things that the Grizzlies didn't say at Media Day. Um, and let's just dive into the, to the power forward question. I think that's where we need to start. Um, because Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, we'll talk about him more explicitly in a second, but he has that injury uh, that was announced right before free agency began. They gave a four to six month timeline. Four months was in, at the end of October. Six months was at the end of December. And uh, so presumably, although there was one sentence that came out of Taylor Jenkins' mouth that didn't uh, quite confirm that he was 100% going to be out for very long, but Let's just presume that he is going to be out for an extended period of time to start the season. We need somebody to start in the power forward spot. Um, the front office gave a few clues, although those clues were more about the order in which they listed players than the players they listed. Um, and let's get into it. Santi Aldama was the one that was the first out of... Uh, Zach Kleiman's mouth, as well as Taylor Jenkins, when they were asked about this question. But then they listed the two rookies, Jake Laravia, David Roddy. They listed Zaire, um, listed Brandon, too. Jenkins at least did. Um, what do y'all think about the fifth starter? Uh, what do y'all think about what they did and didn't say in media day? Kraft, what do you think? So I'll say, um, well, I think they did throw out Brandon. I, I just, I think that. Just li the tea, listening to the tea leaves and everybody talking, even Brandon himself saying that he is that he that when some reporters were trying to write their stories and they were asking him about wanting to start. And he actually said, I'm I'm totally fine coming off the bench like I like coming off the bench. I like playing with Jaron. Um, so I just for me, I would be shocked if it's Brandon. Like to me, he would be fourth on this list of possibilities. Um or even fifth on the list of possibilities, because I just think I think that the they want when Jaron comes back for the rest of the rotation to not be thrown, and I think they also just don't like 
uh, Brandon Clark and Adams playing together. Uh, so, so that's rightfully one thing. So. Rightfully yes. so. <laughs> right. And so, so for me, I found it interesting that they mentioned Aldama first. I, uh, I did find that interesting. Um, I think, so I don't, I'm, I'm not going to predict that he is the opening day starter. I am going to predict that I think that the front office and coach Jenkins, uh, would like him to play his way into that role in, in a sense like that they are hoping that he is the best player of the three just because he's going to be a little more experienced than the rookies. And, and that's what I would, I would think is that I think they want him to win that job. I, but I think that it is going to be in a, these preseason games, that's what's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I think that, It'll be interesting also to watch for Laravia and Roddy. I think just both of them are going to be trying to win that spot. Uh, I, I lean towards Laravia just because of the out, outside shooting. Uh, Jaw himself called him a sniper was how he described Love him that. in one word. And I just think that we need somebody who can just hit open shots from the corner uh, as the four. And so that, and then uh, the last thing I'll say before we want to hear y'all hear uh, y'all's opinions. I think that Zaire, I think we're going to see a lot of Zaire with that starting five closing games and some other different things, maybe even Brandon Clark in for Adams. I think we're going to see that. And, and in fact, that might line up might play more minutes. I just think they don't want Dylan playing, having to play the four. I, I think they want Dylan being able to guard the best wing on the other team every night or even, you know, just, or even the best guard and playing that small lineup to start, I think will mess with that. And so, so I, and I also think they like Zaire as the sixth man. So, so that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it. And that seemed all those things that, again, they didn't say it, but that's kind of what I'm feeling like it's Santi's to lose. And then the two rookies are kind of, kind of could battle it out and have a really good preseason and win that role. That's kind of what I'm thinking. What do you think, Todd? So my first question to myself was like, does it matter? Um, Maybe. But the main reason I kind of brought it up is, like, if it could be a small sample size. Um, literally just mentioned to this to y'all before we started. But so if he comes back around Thanksgiving, which it seems like that could be a late, you know, um, arrival compared to what everyone's kind of been saying about him this week. But Thanksgiving would be him missing 20 games. Um, let's just call that a fourth of the season, you'd say. And if it's closer to Christmas, so we have basically 30 games before our Christmas Day game against Golden State. So if it is into, like, December, that's a decent chunk. That's enough to matter, I think. Um, So if it is, in fact, like, into late November, I think it matters. Um, It seems like last year Jenkins picked a guy and just stuck with it. And that was Zaire, obviously. Like, once Zaire started, he started. And that was kind of it. Kyle didn't really take his place that much. Like, you know, if Zaire was either hurt or some other player was hurt, then that was different. But, like, if the, you know, core four starters and Zaire was healthy, that's who played. Um, So, I think he's going to end up picking a guy. And I wouldn't doubt it if it's by the end of this preseason. And I think that player sticks. Um, I think he did the same thing with Grayson Allen couple years ago started a lot of the preseason games or was like wow he's you know where's Melton kind of thing and then Grayson started most of those opportunities over Melton um so I think kind of the first answer to my own question is yes I think it does matter 
Um, as far as who it is, um, yeah, I think the whole Santi thing kind of got played up. And if you look at like why, I guess it's a good-sized player who theoretically can stretch the floor. I think that's kind of the big thing is what we're looking for is someone to stretch the floor because um, Steven Adams is not going to do it. Back to your Brandon Clark thing, he's just not that player. Um, LaRavia is like pretty hesitant to shoot. Maybe they just like force him to shoot the ball. Um, Roddy kind of fits with this like do a little bit of everything, but not like, you know, the master of none kind of thing. Um, shot a great percentage in college, but like, I don't know what that translates to my, I don't know if my, my guess, my hope honestly would be Zaire. Um, and we move Dylan and kind of depending on matchups, Dylan guards, maybe the bigger fours, let Zaire guard the three, two slash whoever kind of the perimeter based score is because he did it a lot last year. If y'all remember, he guarded Steph a lot, guard a lot of those positions. I think we go small and we run. That's I think like if you look at kind of what we've lost versus what we were really good at last year, we we're really good at running and really good at getting out and fast break opportunities. And Zaire was the king of the lob. He was always receiving lobs from Jaw, and I think that gives easy points. Kind of resembles our playing style of last year. And if we start someone else, I could see our playing style slowing down a little bit. Um, and I don't think that's something we want to do on a regular basis. I think your initial question was important. Does it matter? I mean, we got to think about, you know, Jaron's going to, no one is going to replicate what Jaron does. Like that's, we're going to almost have to play a different style with whoever starts at the four. And I think it just depends on what style you want. I mean, if you're wanting the uh, low usage option, I think uh, Laravia is, uh, or, or Aldama, I don't know, you know, who between the two, if you're going to have both of them play similar, I mean, I assume that Laravia is just going to kind of be a corner guy who's also going to pop in if you need a slasher. Aldama's might might be a little bit, he, you hope he can stretch the floor, like you said. Um Tillman was the other one that I forgot to mention that they did mention at the very end. It was kind of like a tail end comment uh, that Kleiman had because he was like, Tillman did have some uh, playoff rotation minutes. He didn't mention why. Uh, but I think that that's another interesting option too to add to the mix. But my, my guess, and one thing that Taylor actually mentioned in his press conference, he was talking about gathering data on on combinations. And it seems like they are very keen on from an analytics perspective, combinations that work. And I think this may speak more to the Brandon point that you were making than it does to who they're actually going to start. I think they they just know what the combo gives them in Tyus and Brandon and Jaron at the five. I think that that three-man lineup probably is, I don't know the exact numbers, we could look them up, but I bet that's pretty positive based on how Memphis's bench uh, rated throughout the league. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be... I don't think Clark should start. I wouldn't mind a LaRavia start because what do you have to lose? Uh, you can just yank him and put in somebody you know will produce. I think Aldama is the most interesting because what do you have in him? It makes me question, though, who's going to be the backup five at that point and how how do you schedule those rotations out? Do you believe in his size enough and his rebounding? Uh, does he develop that enough to actually hold his own as a backup five when Brandon comes off the bench? Uh, that's my question because Jaron was the obvious answer there coming in. Uh, but it's going to be, I don't think Roddy's going to get that uh, start just as a prediction. It doesn't seem like he's the first of the rookies from a pecking order perspective. I think it's LaRavia. So I would, I would whittle it down to LaRavia or Aldama 
And uh, with the fact that if both of those don't work out, you could see Zaire. And I think that's a really comfortable option, Zaire. Right. And I would say that to your point, I actually think we might look up for whenever Jaron does get back and the most minutes are going to be Zaire. Yes. Sort of. And Dylan playing that three, four, like, and that, but that I think that there, I, I feel like there's going to be a reluctance to start that because they love that bench so much. And I think they just know that Zaire is going to come off the bench and they'll want to leave it. They'll leave it that way. And so I don't know. And my one thing that is interesting is I want, you know, this is, we seem to be an organization that's above this now. And maybe this is me asking this question is bringing in some old Grizzlies feel, but I do wonder if some, if some of it is, I mean, so far Santi is the only draft pick um, that a first round draft pick that has not been seen as like a genius pick. And I do wonder if there's a little bit for climbing and the front office, at least we want to really give Santi a chance when we can. Um, but at the same time, the opposite of that is I think Jenkins really, I, I still can't get over how happy and we might talk about this more later, how happy he was at this training camp and how happy and gleeful he was at the draft, the post day, the day after the draft. Mm. Um, and so there's a part of me that thinks he is excited about the rookies um, and in particular, Ravia and Roddy. And so there's a part of me that also wonders if, um, and honestly, Laravia is kind of like a potentially a taller, better defensive version of Grayson. So I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to me to see that as point. well. Jenkins might have a type. Yeah, he might. <laughs> I did want to mention, we really knocked a Steven Adams, Brandon Clark pairing. So surprisingly, they still had a plus, um, positive or they were a positive plus minus last year they only played 32 two games together so i just did the two-man lineup yeah so they were just on the floor together um it wasn't a ton but they did have a positive net rating which is surprising um they gobbled, and I think gobbled up every offense there rebound. were no defense defensive rebounds to come by for the opponent i did want to mention will you kind of made a great point it's almost in passing but it really like it really you know just really perked my ears the whole second unit thing, because if you look at our substitution patterns last year, Jaron was one of the first people to come out of the game and then immediately return when Jaw came out. And then it was like the second unit with kind of Jaron as like the main starter on the floor playing the five, like you just kind of mentioned, like what does that look like? That to me is where things get sticky because Jaron was able to do so much. He is a matchup nightmare, especially defensively. He can just cover so much ground. We can play so many different styles. I think with him out, especially with our second unit and even our starters, like our, I don't know, like variability in defense and what we can do is just really limited. So my guess is we're going to do the whole, like just drop Adams and hope teams don't make a billion threes. Um, and maybe it's probably volatile enough, and especially to start the year, that's probably going to be fine. Um, but I think you're, that point about being the second unit and like what happens there, what happens with the nuance and the gray areas of basketball with our lineups, because yeah. Jaron was just like the biggest stick of glue ever because it was like, oh, he's out there, so it's fine. Like our defense yeah. is fine because he's there. Like it didn't matter what you put around him right. defensively. And now like when that's gone, like I think a lot of things could get a little exposed – well, and it's also interesting you bring that up because when Jaron would go out, we would put Kyle Anderson in. And so he's also not going to be the guy that's coming in. Yeah. You know, so like just that 
that small forward, you know. So, I mean, it's honestly, we everybody's obsessed with who's going to be the starting four. But Correct. we also need to think about who's going to be the backup four. And five. And, and yeah, like I whatever mean, that looks like. Are yeah. we going to see some Brandon Clark at the five? Like, I don't think it's crazy. We've done it in the past, and it's 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 not been the best. Um, in a backup lineup situation? Maybe in backup, because we just, again, we would just run other teams to death. But as great as he is at def- offensive rebounds, he might be just as bad at defensive rebounding. Um, he's so small. He's so small. He is. So. I think the Tillman-Aldama backup five conversation is interesting, too. Um, all right, let's let's move. Speaking of BC, we have some contract extensions uh, available, uh, and those are mainly BC. He's kind of the headliner, but then... Dylan Brooks and, and uh, Stephen Adams as well are eligible. They, however, can be extended any time throughout the season. However, Brandon Clark, his deadline is the start of the season. So, number one, do y'all think that we're going to see an extension for BC? And, I mean, the harder question is, what is that going to look like in your estimation? I At this point, and part of it, it was because I think Brandon messed up a little bit. So they asked him about it in media day, and he began to talk about uh, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, but he basically began to say um, that he plans to be in Memphis for a long time and that he's excited about being with the group. And then he stopped himself mid-sentence and said, but I can't talk about contracts at this time. Almost like there was an agent in the back of the room. Like, like stop. stop it, stop it. Shut up. Um, and that made uh, – so that and just the way people were talking, the way he was being mentioned um, – by by other members of the team and by the front office. I just I would be pretty shocked. It seems like um he would I would be sh- surprised if he's not extended honestly at this point. I also think of the culture angle. He's best friends with Jaron. Um he fits um again, he's somebody who will in a press conference say I'm fine not starting. You know, uh he's not like a Jay Crowder or other people who would struggle with that. Uh, so I just think, and, and I think because of the way his contract is and what we can extend him for, and I think it's pretty fair, I assume that there'll be something like that done before the season. Yeah, I'm with you too. I mean, I think that, uh, 12 to 13, 12 to 14 a year would be kind of the sweet spot to me for him. Uh, I'd love to lock him up for as many years as you can get at that rate because with the new TV, TV deal coming in someone like Brandon Clark could all of a sudden become a steal uh, towards the end of, of that particular deal. And I think it's unique in the in the specific context he's in. And I think that's also going to help the Grizzlies when they're negotiating. When you look at Brandon Clark on the open market, he reminds me of, he's like a rich man's, uh, like Nick Claxton or Bruce Brown, where they're these utility players that are undersized for their basketball position, and yet they impact the game in a, a big way in important situations, which we saw that in the last playoff run, how his tenacity, his eye for the ball, his uh, he, he will win you the possession in the hustle game every time if given the right opportunity in the right context. And also with Jaron Jackson being locked up for that long, not only the, the, uh, the culture and, you know, camaraderie element, but 
those two guys play really well together. And I think that they are a potential closing lineup when you're looking ahead a couple years. So I would be shocked if an extension doesn't get done. And I hope that I would, I would think that a front office like ours wouldn't necessarily penalize Brandon in for slipping up in a, in a press conference like that. I hope that there's a deal at least already maybe on the table and it's just for him to sign and uh, I, I would I would hope that Kleiman is like wanting because he he speaks so much about rewarding development and the way that the front office builds teams and rewards and uh, hopefully that's that deal gets done. I certainly think it will. Yeah, I think one thing, um, real quick too. I think when we talk about our culture and the way they do things, I also think uh, it's a helpful thing to have a guy who was in the rotation was almost was basically out of the rotation for almost a year, then back in the rotation. Success uh, story. Success story, just like, I mean, Conchar. I just think there's a lot of certain things that we can point to. So when people file the rotation this year, you can point to them and say, but look at Clark, we just extended him. Like, you know, it comes and goes. There's going to be months, seasons even, where you're in and out of the rotation. We're a deep team. Um, I just think that's important as well. Uh, let's talk about Jaron for just a second. He's huge. He's so big. He's gained, like, what? I don't want to say a number because I'm bad at this, but, like, is 20 pounds of muscle too much to say? Whatever your number is, just add five for the beard. I mean, he looks like he's huge. Did y'all see the picture I sent y'all from rookie year to now? Like, he is significantly bigger. He looks like a middle schooler in that year one he picture. It's, uh, he was also like 18, which is wild. <laughs> yeah. He's he year five and he's 23 years old, which is crazy. <laughs> he was closer to being a middle schooler at that point in time than he was to being. I, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, yeah. No, that was nuts. I, uh, one thing I was listening to said that, you know, he had, he had actually already gotten into some like one on zero on court work. So it's not like he's still resting. Like he's in the place where I think he's starting to maybe get back into conditioning shape, maybe, you know, working on certain skills that he lost out on in that developmental time. Um, I think per every single thing that's come out about the situation that we're going to see him closer to the front side of November than Christmas. And that would be massive for this season. Uh, because as we've mentioned a couple of times, you can't duplicate and replicate what Jaron brings, especially defensively. Uh, what did y'all think about the language that they had for the return timetable? Did y'all catch any, did you, did y'all have any morsels from that, that you are excited about or worried about? I think you have to be encouraged for sure. Cause even he said something, he's like, I can't tell you when, probably not opening night, but you'll like it. Assuming that's like really early. Chris Vernon obviously has a lot of inside scoop and stuff like that. And he's like, he talked to his dad at summer league and his dad's like, yeah, this is not a big deal. Like no concerns. No one has been throwing out concerns. I know Brantley would say that's what front offices have to say, but I think Vernon has been pretty upfront and open when he, he kind of tells it like it is for better or for worse. Um, but I don't think he would say that, it, you know, I don't think Jaron's dad would be going like, Oh, this is nothing. The one thing that I was kind of, Outside of that, so everyone talks about, like, especially last year, Jaron wasn't really able to have an offseason, um, whether that's to improve or work on things. It sounds like this year he was probably given one more than expected 
And I think that means a lot from someone like Jaron, who's absolutely still developing his game, especially offensively. Um, so I think that's encouraging that he is doing work right now. And it sounds like he has been doing some work. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, I, I think it's all good things to hear. Yeah, I think, I mean, everything I heard, uh, as, as, as has been, uh, already shown in this podcast, I'm pretty bullish on the Grizzlies. And part of that huge optimism is Jaron coming back earlier, um, than expected. And that seems to be, I mean, I Jenkins, you know, who knows Jenkins even said if he's not there, I was going to bring that up. It's crazy. So, so I mean, and, and, and Jaron was the one who said, no, you know, I don't think I'll be doing that. But, but that even says there is this sense that it's closer and honest. I mean, and honestly, I think we're in a place where if it's a little bit longer than we think, it almost might be because we're actually doing well with a, with an easy early schedule and they're just doing it. So they're like making sure it's not just that totally healed, but that he's in great shape before he comes back. So, I mean, it feels like to me though, that he's going to be back. I would be shocked if he's not back by Thanksgiving, just the way everybody's acting. That means something from now and Thanksgiving would have happened to me. There's some setback for him not to come back by Thanksgiving. Let's pretend for a second that the injury didn't happen and Jaron had had this developmental time and we were in here talking on this very podcast about what our expectations are for Jaron. What is like the one thing you would be watching for at the start of the season for a guy like Jaron that would be an improvement upon what we've seen? I mean, I know that a couple of things have been thrown out there uh, over the course of, you know, all the different podcasts that, that we listened to and, all the different things that, you know, Jenkins even revealed that he was uh, trying to coach up Jaron towards. But what are your, you know, top things that you would want to see from Jaron improved? To me, it's I really want him to get back to his shooting prowess. I think that matters a ton for what we're trying to do and what he needs to be for us. Um, Like we talk about like shooting gravity whether it's going in or not, like if teams respect you and your shot, that still has a, that means a lot, especially when you have like jaw, which is any sliver of opening in the lane is like all he needs. So I think that would be great to see him start the year with a, you know, shooting the ball pretty well. But honestly, the big thing is like, can you just play smarter? Like the dumb fouls, the offensive fouls, the like illegal screens, the pushes in the backs, like all that kind of stuff. Like the fouls where he reaches at half court on like a ball screen, like, are you learning from that? And this has been an ongoing thing. Yes, he's gotten like a little bit better as time goes, but like I can just think about the Minnesota series where he was in foul trouble literally every game. I think little stuff like that for his development is all, is going to be massive. Is like, can you just kind of like learn to play more efficiently on defense without fouling? It makes me a little nervous because, again, like I won't go into this too much, but Dylan had mentioned like, efficient shot selection yesterday and like it means nothing like he's been saying that for a while and like nothing's ever come of it so like one thing with Jaron is can he show growth in that in that area because that to me is his biggest thing like holding him back is like can you just stop the two to three dumb fouls every game yeah I mean I I think I'm exactly with that and kind of to add to that just a little bit I think one thing for me is sort of seeing him be able to drive um, and and kind of, I don't know if it's playmake necessarily, but not, not charge, but recognize the defense is set, and now I need to shoot some kind of mid-range floater hook, or I need to pass the ball back out. 
so it really is going to what Ty said about this decision making. But that's sort of because that, like even looking at some of the Golden State series, especially when John went out and we needed an offensive player, that kind of like I do think Jaron, you know, I think the shot will come. I'm I'm excited about seeing his three point shot this this year. And I think he finishes around the basket well. I think it's that middle kind of zone where he wants to get the basket and he draws a charge or he like throw like, you know, the last couple shots that were big shots for us that in game six, the Golden State Warriors series was these kind of middle, middle, mid range sort of jump kind of hook shot type thing that he does. And that he just looks so unnatural. And so I'm hoping that sort of stuff, which is hopefully stuff that you can kind of work on even, you know, with some foot issues. Right. That's a good point. I feel like Jaron, like y'all may disagree, but it feels like he plays at one speed. Like, he can't manipulate his speed and his reaction and his timing and his movements. It's just like he's either going or he's not. And that can be pretty, I'm sure, I mean, I'm not seven feet, but I'm sure it's hard to to learn that feel. Like, if you look at Ja, everyone talks about what's so special is not like his ability to go, but his ability to stop is like just probably the best in the world. And that's so advantageous for him, obviously, Jaron's huge. That doesn't matter as much. But to craft to your point, like the nuance in between game, the like mid post, not like or post extended, like the short corner, like little stuff like that. Can you develop? Like Mark Gasol was the king of that range. He was terrible at the basket, but he was awesome at that little like. I don't know, like elbow area, something like that. And Jaron just has none of that game. But honestly, it's kind of set up to where we don't really ask him to be down there very much either. It's either like you are on the block or you are on the perimeter. Um, But I keep thinking about like driving. Like when he gets the ball at the top of the key and he tries to take someone off the dribble, can he get by them with his like first or second step? Usually he does pretty well with that. But what if he can't? Like what's next? What is his counter? What is his next move? Where is he looking next? Where is he thinking next? I feel like dissecting the game, thinking about next steps, thinking about like people talk about Luca this way. Like he sees the fourth play before it ever, like even the first one happens. Like I don't expect Jaron to ever get there. Right. But can he make that second play? If the first one's not there on the spin move, if there's a defender right there, can he like have the wherewithal to just stop and make a kick out or some other pivot or some other move or some other shot, something like that. Yeah. I mean, and I think, and this is, this is when I'm sad that Brantley's not here to see his expression when I say this, but I mean, I'll do my best. But I think that, you know, replicate, but when we look at Giannis, like age 23, 24 was when he began to develop those things. And, uh, and I'm not saying Jaron's going to be Giannis, but I am saying that Giannis was similarly both on defense and on offense had that struggle of control of his body um, when he was younger. And, you know, now he's like, you know, I mean, now he's the best player in the world and he has the utmost control. And that's and I don't know if Jaron's ever going to get there, but obviously both that I feel like he made some strides defensively last year. For sure. And I'd love to see him make those strides offensively. So. Yeah, another quick thing is people talk about his, like, timing and stuff with his defense. Like, the fact that he, like, blocks shots at literally the top of their apex or, like, at the hand, actually. Like, he blocks the hand, not the ball. So, he has it defensively. So, I'm just curious if that translates into offense. Yeah, I'm with you guys. And, I mean, 
just to add something very small and then we can we can move to the next topic but i love to see almost like an anthony davis style like baseline fadeaway like i think that would be such an interesting counter for him instead of like only relying on the power when he gets within 10 feet of the basket uh but then again that that just it's basically just like offensive polish around the rim like i'd love to see more variety and i know that that just comes with reps it comes with time and I've loved the progression of power that we've seen from like year one to year four um, with all the injuries, with all the foul trouble, he's still aggressive, which I like, but maybe let's like add one or two tricks up his sleeve. And I think that then you'd have a, a real complete player at that point in time. Um, I thought one of the funny like questions that Vernon asked Ja, he literally led with this, like what's the deal with the shoes? Like that was, that was great. And Ja of course was really coy about it but man i just hope that those the the morant ones are going to come out pretty soon do y'all think the morant ones are going to come out before the jitty ones or which order do we think we're going to see by jitty ones you mean like crocs (laughs) he would prefer that apparently uh but uh yeah are y'all do y'all think we're going to see any morant nike stuff especially around the shoes like before next off season I mean, there's no way to know, but like, what do y'all, what do y'all think? Yeah, I have no idea. I do know that he's a thing and I do know that like they did the big Nike old versus new with uh, Spike and that young girl playing chess or whatever. And like Ja was literally the first highlight of the new, like he's, he's in the mix. Something's in the works. I will say like NBA players have shoot, like there's not a lot of them. Um, Like Zion got one really early because he was this generational player. Tatum and Luca are with Jordan, which is a little different because they really don't have a time. But like, if you look at Nike players, I mean, Ja would by far be the youngest player with a Nike shoe. I can't. I mean, Giannis has a Nike shoe, and he's twenty eight now. Kyrie's th- almost thirty. Like, I can't think of a player under twenty five with a Nike shoe. Can I mean, can y'all? Mm-hmm. So I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't think it's like a. I don't know. He's a. He's a just a crazy superstar though. So, yeah, my guess would be, like, next offseason. I don't think it happens this year. It's funny how bad of a secret keeper Jaw is. Like, I feel like, but the reason he's so bad at keeping secrets is because he's so good at just expressing, like, what he would want. You know, if if Vernon were to ask Jaw, like, when's your shoe coming out? He'd be like, I don't know, ask Nike. Like, we got to get on that. Like, I could (laughs) see him saying something like that. But the fact that he's being so just, like, like I said, coy about it, I, I mean, it's I mean, coming. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see uh, whether the announcement or just a very big ad campaign, something for Christmas game, all-star game, beginning of the playoffs. I mean, I would say that one of those three yeah. times we're going to get something beginning to give us a hint. I it think. won't be random. Yeah, I'll say this. When it drops, we will have a T-shirt with a trace outline of the shoe <laughs> coming to you as soon as we are able. And we will copyright that shirt. Yes, we will. <laughs> and it will get taken down from the internet. <laughs> we should have mentioned this when we were talking about who's starting at four, but obviously the big news uh, from a trade perspective right now in the league is Jay Crowder. He's so out r- reportedly not coming so back. Out. What are, but what, what's the, is it out no matter what the price is or is there a, is there a price where you'd be like, okay, that's worth it. I mean, I think there's always a price, which, you know, I mean, this is a totally other conversation. I just think uh, probably for another pod when we're talking big, bigger picture stuff or the way our front office works. But I do think one of the things about us is 
is we explore all the time. And I think we're the kind of front office that I bet calls to see if we can get amazing deals and or just to see how desperate certain teams are. So in that sense, I mean, if it's like, but the Phoenix isn't going to trade, you know, I mean, obviously I know the money won't work out, but like they wouldn't trade Killian Tilly for Jay Crowder, you know? So I think there's a sense of realism. Um, but I mean, the way they talked about Danny Green, the press conference tells me they're, they are not sure. expecting to That's trade him point. for Jay Crowder at all. That is the point right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, so he's in the last year of his deal. Um, he's on the books for a little over 10 million. Um, it's not a huge contract, but enough to where we would have to give back something um, financially. The, the Danny Green, again, contract screams the, the matching salary. I just thought it was interesting when they asked Kleiman about, like, hey, you took a run at, you know, Kevin Durant. Like, that didn't come to fruition, but, like, what are your thoughts on that kind of thing? And he's basically like, Kevin, I mean, he's a great player, all this kind of stuff, but he was like, that's not really a part of our team-building process. And, like, I get Kevin Durant is generational and would just completely change our franchise. But also, Jay Crowder being 33 years old next year, 32 this year, um, is he, like, does he even exist in a team-building perspective? You know what I mean? Like, is he building anything at this point? I don't know. Maybe. I guess you could argue that. Um, is he additive in any kind of way outside of just like people being like, Oh, Jay Crowder, you know, like what did, what did he actually give us last go round besides locker room stuff? I mean, he shot it a lot never really went in, but I feel like we have like, we are such a different program. And I love how Kleiman always calls it, uh, says program. Like it's a college thing. He's like, we have such a program here. We are a very different program than what we were his last go round. And it's almost like he would probably step into this thinking that his similar role would be, you know, he would take up that same role and he would probably be like, whoa, this is not where I, you know, I'm not what I used to be here. I think his time here was special and it was needed and it was good. But I think now things have changed. Things have shifted. We are no longer like, oh, man, we need this leader in the locker room to try to get us to 35 wins. It's like, no, dude, we were second in the entire league in wins last year. Like, we need contributors, and we need them very badly. And if you're, you know, it's just different. It's just all different. I think that if you look at it, to me, if I, if I were not a fan of the Grizzlies, if I were looking at it from an outsider's perspective, it would make all the sense in the world to bring in Jay Crowder to me if you're the Memphis Grizzlies because you're missing a starter at the four spot. He's been in your system before. He and Ja are tight, and he is also a veteran that would potentially understand the situation that he's kind of a one year, uh, rental. And then if he wants to maybe come back, you know, and build up enough equity with the organization and maybe, and also take a minimum, you know, maybe they would bring him back. Now on the flip side, think about our last two draft classes. We had three wings that we drafted this year in, you know, LaRavia, Roddy and Williams. We signed Kenny Lofton, junior junior and also last year we drafted santi aldama like that's five potential four and five spot guys or three through five that we just drafted and we're a team that's shown that we're going to develop guys so like if you know the grizzlies i think the odds are low like that you would say that we were going to trade for jay crowder on the outside looking in i do think that there's a case uh he would be the sure starter and he would contribute and i think he would fit in that starting unit, but I think it's a question of short-term 
stunting the growth of all that you've been developing. So I would personally be surprised, and yet I, I do see the, the case. Right. I do think, though, that there is um, – I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a struggle for definitely national media, like you were saying. But even I think here in town, where uh, where Grizzlies fans love to get on the trade machine, love to talk about trades, uh, we love to pot about trades. The that just this front office is very different than Agreed. what everybody is used it's a to. Big point too, and that they're just very different and. Uh, they don't think the way that they do not think the way that we've kind of grown accustomed to thinking about team building the last 15, 20 years. And that's why it would just really surprise me to bring Crowder back because I think they see injuries as a chance to develop, not a chance to, and I don't think even bringing Jay Crowder in would be considered panic trading, but I just think they always, they're always thinking, can we do long-term things that, that we believe do not sacrifice the short-term at all? You know, and I think most people, we watch the last three years, them do things, and we think, oh, they're just thinking long-term, you know, and we love that. And y'all had a podcast celebrating them thinking long-term. But what we found is they actually, they actually only do, they do long-term things expecting actually for it to work out short-term as well. And so it just would, I think we're a far way away from them just making pure short-term moves. And it's like, what do we value? Like if we wanted a 32 year old guy to like kind of play when Jaren's hurt and then come off the bench, like, do you not think we could have traded Melton and gotten that like very easily? Like, yeah, absolutely. We could have, what did we value in return for Melton? We wanted a first round pick. We wanted a young player to your point, Will to bring into our system and grow with us. Right. So to me, like, we're not going to give up any young player and uh, apparently a Danny Green that we value. And Phoenix isn't going to be like, yeah, we'll take back Danny Green and Killian Tilly, who's like been in and out of the hustle program for the last couple of years. Like, they're not going to do that. They're going to look for actual value coming back. I mean, I know the Jay Crowder, but that to me, that also stems like if you look at Utah guys, we won't get into all this kind of stuff, but I want to mention that too. Is like people have been like, Jordan Clarkson to Memphis, book it. This is going to be such a great thing. I'm like, what do we value? We don't value that. We don't. Um, and I think we like, yeah. Again, was- when Donovan Mitchell got traded, Bill Simmons went on his podcast and called us a loser in the situation because he was like, I think he really makes like Memphis like if they get Donovan Mitchell like it's to you know to the top to the moon it's like we would have had to given we would have given up our entire future for right now that's just not the way we're thinking that's not the way we've ever made any type of decision it's just not it's not the way that we're built and every and I remember Rosillo followed up with like yeah I don't know why I mean Bain's a good player but they view him as untouchable that's not the point man like, no, he's not untouchable, but, like, he fits really well with our system. He's in our scheme. He's exactly the guy that we want. Why would we go – I just uh, – yeah, I think, Kraft, to your point, and I can't wait for your 2,500-word article on <laughs> newgrizding.com eventually at some point to be dropped. Trying to get my fingers to work again. I just It'll can't happen. wait for – it's just steadily over and over and again, people don't understand what we're doing. And even though we are, like, shining a bright light in everyone's faces, it's like they still can't get it. Like, they're just like, oh, but they got picks. They're going to trade them all. It's like, this is not what we're doing, guys. It's just not. It's countercultural, baby. Let's do it. The upside down. Dare we say it's bad content if you're going to keep pushing all these uh, trades that aren't going to happen? I don't know. Yeah, That's a probably. debate. Yeah, uh, sure. Speaking of relevant trade content, uh, Dylan Brooks is an important conversation going into this year. 
And not only because he's an expiring contract, but because he just came off a playoff performance, which was completely, it left us with a completely different perception than he did the the playoff stint before. Um, We were absolutely um, just amazed at the way that he performed two years ago versus how he had performed the whole season and the seasons prior. Uh, his, His just intensity worked and in this particular playoff uh, run there was you know he had the game that everyone is going to blame him for shooting us out of Uh, there is a unique context in which this seems to happen to Dylan and it's when there isn't anyone else around to quote unquote take the shots I will just start the conversation with you guys by saying we have another situation now where we're going to start the season without a quote-unquote core guy. Dylan is going to be in a precarious position when it comes to the offensive pecking order. And I think it's important to have the conversation and keep this conversation open as we move through the season. And it's Dylan's long-term fit. It's the Mm. Groundhog Day conversation on the Grizz Den podcast. But I think it, it, it is an evolving conversation based on the new members of the team, the different ways in which we're going to play based on the new pieces. The pieces that have left, where are we with Dylan? Let's have a touch base. We'll probably have a touch base every single time we're together. <laughs> yep. Where are we right now today on Dylan Brooks? <laughs> do, you, do you want to start? Man, it's just so hard. It really is. Um I forgot who did this exercise, but someone was like, go through all the starting small forwards in the league and like find a reasonable one that we could get that's better. And you couldn't. Like, yes, I think there's a ton of like downside and frustration, but like he's again, it's like, will he ever change? Probably not. It's probably who he is. Like everyone keeps saying this. Well, if he could do this, if he could do that, no, that's just not the player he is. If he was that, he'd be an all star. You know, if he'd just shoot better, it'd be an all star. Like, that's just not him. Do I think that, like, our coaching staff will try to, like, change things a little bit? Sure. Um, I think it's going to have to come from, like, him being like, okay, am I hurting or helping my team? Is he capable of doing that? Maybe. I don't know. But he's still very valuable. Um, I hate seeing, like, people throw him in trades for, like, I don't know, like Marvin Bagley last year. I'm like, that's never going to happen. Like, he's a very valuable player. We value him. He's had a great contract. Like, I think he is the most polarizing player as far as, like, future base because, like, it's true. Like, if you were to look at our roster top to bottom and be like, what, like, you know, player that actually gets significant minutes do you think is going to be, like, not a part of our future long term? I guarantee you, like, everyone's going to be like, oh, Dylan, that makes a lot of sense that he won't be. Um, so I don't really know. It's really hard to say. I honestly thought we could have easily, maybe if he wasn't hurt last year, we trade him last year. I really don't know. Um, I don't know how value he is around the league. I just think it's, it's hard to just like give him away for nothing. Cause he does hold a lot of value. And I think that like, if he were to just to make one quick change and just not shoot as much, that would be awesome. But again, I don't know if that is actually like plausible. But to speak to your talking about looking at other people, I mean, a guy we all love, an OG Ananobi, 
he is right next to Dylan in all those top 100 rankings. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, just that's to say a great what, point. Just to Love say that. what other media people think, uh, you know, I keep going back to um, the, the the two things that war against my soul. Which, as we'll know, as we talk, we talk about the grizzlies. Talk hand. about the futures. Is that a hand? The war first thing. The, war, mm. the, the first thing is that I'm a big trend guy. Like I am. So, for instance, like I'm not going to believe the Pelicans are going to be good until they actually start off a season good because they always start off a season bad. I am going to think be optimistic on the Grizzlies because for three straight years <laughs> they have exceeded everybody's expectations. Hammer the over. But with Dylan, I keep having this hope that he is going to actually believe he's going to actually walk the talk of efficiency. And at this point I'm starting to realize, I just don't know if he'll ever get there, but can he make marginal improvements? The few things that really do make me excited is when we have our, our theoretical starting five that we never have that we are historically good uh, in our lineup. I mean, talking great, you know, the nineties bulls, 2010s Warriors, uh, seven seconds or less Suns as far as just net rating, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. Um, And that gives me hope that Dylan is different when we have three other really good scoring options on the floor. Um, I still go back to he is an important – he Curry dominated every other series but our series – his numbers are way lower in our series. And I don't want to just give Dylan that credit because I think our system, the way we approach. But it mattered. Curry, but it mattered. It really mattered. We didn't play Luca, but Luca is another guy that Dylan guards very well. Like looking at the West, there are certain wings. And then, and I think the Clippers are coming where we're having a really good wing defender um, is, is great. I partly on game four. And then I, I want to hear from Will of last year, which is the thing that's going to just haunt every Grizzlies fan. I do think there, that was the extreme Dylan that I think was coming off of him feeling like he lost a series for us by getting kicked out of game two and suspended for game three. Uh, And I think there was an almost, he was trying to win it in a way that I just hope that that was a learn that that has helped him learn something that maybe he will make marginal improvements. Um, yeah, and I think another – so, Will, your point is, like, we have no one else to create offense. Like, I get that point, and I – Well, I don't necessarily agree sure, sure, all the way with that, but right. it's it's an explainer. It's a narrative. Yeah. Yes, it's a narrative. The other narrative is like, oh, well, we'll just give it to him at the end of the shot clock, and we have nothing else going on. So, just look this up because I was curious. So, last year in the 31 games he played, not a huge sample, right – but he basically took 50% of his shots with 7 to 15 seconds on the shot clock, which is pretty normal, right? Four seconds or to zero, which is extremely late in the shot clock. He basically only shot that seven per, all of all of his shots 7% of the time, which is pretty low. So the majority of his shots were actually like early to average in the shot clock, which means that's not like bailout shots. Right, so he's that, definitely that just means it's a like, decision. It's yes. not a decision made for you. Correct. It's a Dylan, it is not it's like a, a oh my gosh, right. what's happening? I, it's it's three seconds out of the ball in the wing. Let's do this. No, this is like oh, I'm coming on a, a curl from 18 feet. I'm pretty open. Maybe Let's he do just it. needs glasses to see the shot clock. Maybe that's the solution. Rex specs are coming back. It's like Jameis Winston getting LASIK. That's it. Maybe that's it. That's it. Rex specs. Come on, but yeah, I just I think I don't know. I'm kind of with you, Kraft. I just think until I see it for like. 
two months, I'm going to be like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. But at the same time, it's like it's such a, a double-edged sword. It's just like he's valuable and he's a good player. And like, don't do that anymore. But I keep going back to that. He had a huge shot, that step-back three in Towns' face against Minnesota that basically like iced the game. Only Dylan's taking that shot. Well, and we can't forget the Jazz series, which he did, you know, had. Yeah, was it's the like. reason why we won game one. Yeah. I mean, Ja, obviously, always, but. Jaw had like 48, I think. Yes. So, but I think, yeah. I mean, I just think he's our version <laughs> of Marcus Smart. I think this is what Celtics fan deal with Marcus Smart all the time. I would love to do like a head-to-head with Celtics fans. All you Celtics people listening out there. If you if a Celtics fan would say straight up, well, let's do Dylan Brooks for Marcus Smart, would they do would Celtics fans want to do the trade? And would Grizzlies fans want to do the <laughs> trade? I, Grizzlies fans, from my understanding, absolutely. Yeah, no, because I, I think the Celtics have gotten came, the bird come in the hand. Yeah. Sometimes I, don't know. I watched better all those heat not, Celtics, but those heat Celtics the grass games, is always greener. Too. Watching them, if I was a Celtics fan, Marcus Smart would drive me crazy. The problem is too he controls <laughs> the ball. Dylan went like three for eighteen in that game five. D- Dylan never has taken threes with twenty seconds left in the shot clock with like a minute left to go in game seven. Hey, never say never, Kraft. I learned that in <laughs> that's true. Brit lit in college. Never say never. Well, okay. The problem this year, and it's like I said, every single podcast we need to have a check in because the context is going to be different. And this at this particular moment in time, we just. Uh, let two of our wing defenders walk, but whereas you know Melton is more of like a one, one and two defender. But like Kyle Anderson would be the answer to the question of who's guarding the best wing if Dylan's not there. Now, here's one thing that I want to just kind of put on our radar to watch okay, for. Here we go, radar. And this is on brand for me, but I'm looking to Conchar. And I'm going to see what he's going to bring this year. He's already proven the team defense. He's already proven the rebounding. He's a one. His one-on-one defense is an area to improve upon for him. He's got the size. He's got the instincts. And obviously, he is going to. He's the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to to um, to bad shots, as Dylan is. Um, His usage is is extremely low. Um, he does everything else well. I would love to see a guy like Conchar uh, step into a role to where he gets some some reps in that position. And I'm don't, I'm not saying he's ever going to be a number one defender on a defense. I am only proposing that he could potentially be a band aid as he develops. Now, you know who who knows if this is going to end up being the case, and the Grizzlies know what they have in Conchar and they know how they want to use him. I would love for him to get a few more reps in that respect. Um, he's probably going to be the backup too. So I would probably assume he's going to guard mostly, uh, you know, s- small size guys. But anyway, I don't know. Something to watch. I think at this moment in time, though, the organization is backing Dylan because they're going to back all of their guys right now. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's see what we have left. The last roster spot. What are the Vegas odds where you wouldn't put money down on it being Killian Dilly? Like, would it have to be minus a hundred million for you not to put money down that it's going to be him? Was he even at media day? He was actually. Really? So, I didn't yeah, even, I was. didn't see one picture. Right. I don't know if there, is there any other candidate that we could even pr- throw out there as 
not going to make. We have 16 roster guys, is my point. Right. We thought it could be Danny Green. The rhetoric is it's not going to be him. So I have no idea. But that's it's not resolved yet. They still right. haven't cut him. No, I mean, I think it's him. The, yeah, it's got to be. Like, he wasn't mentioned in the starting four thing. Like, if you look at who he would be competing with there, like Santi, even Tillman was mentioned. I could see Tillman not as like, we're going to cut him, but like a trade kind of thing. I don't, I mean, I don't think we're going to do that. But um, I think Chris Harrington threw out Tillman as like an example of uh, someone trading for him the other day. I don't remember who yeah. it was. I mean, that's, that is my only, like the only hesitation and the, like the 99.999% you know, certainty that I seem to have is just that he was around Vegas, um, working out with the guys, you know, seems to have been working out all summer with the team. So was Sam Merrill. So was Sam Merrill. That's true. No, it's true. And so, I mean, that's, true. I mean, that's, but there is a sense in which it does feel like they really like him. And so I don't know what that means because like, I, you know, I don't think he would want to play for the hustle. Um, I think he would go overseas, but you know, so, but I do feel like it's going to be him. And I think the reason to keep him around is to give him a legitimate shot to just prove something, um, at least for other teams too, but then also in case of trade, you know, that we don't lose a guy that we've developed. So let's have a lightning round to end the podcast here of just kind of like things that stuck out to us from the press conferences, questions that we have um, going in that we don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time discussing. Um, and also just start, by this and then we'll just kind of go around uh around the circle here uh i thought that it was really interesting that Kleiman came out and said that the priority is on finding what works in the playoffs like i think that's a complete shift of focus and it was funny too because jenkins was after Kleiman and then was like somebody asked him about that particular question that uh Kleiman had responded to and he was like yep definitely you know that's that's what we're gearing for always is is success in the playoffs. I also have to coach in the regular season, so so you can kind of see the difference in in vision there. Like it's good that Jenkins is in the role he's in because he's going to value every single game. But I love and, and that was also connected to the the half court uh, shooting element, which was also connected to the Kyle Melton uh, moves. And so I thought that was particularly interesting uh, because our focus. If we were going to, you know, take what Kleiman said and apply it to how we see the Grizzlies, that is the focus now is finding guys who are going to be in the playoff rotation, going to work in the playoffs, going to be versatile enough there. Um, Kraft, what what was another interesting? Well, I kind of along that I want to comment on that because I do think and this maybe is maybe a bold take, but I do feel this is the way our front office works is I think that is their thought is in their minds. Uh, as soon as they, as soon as they think they have players who are not going to be playoff core playoff members, that at that point it is can we can we uh, get assets for them at the peak of their value? And I think that was trading Melton for a first round pick. But I also think that in as we talk about the long term and short term, I think they see what they did with with especially with Melton and that trade. I think they see it the same way they saw the JV trade. And I think they think we're making a long-term move, getting to draft a player we like that we think will be valuable down the line. But we actually think Conchar can be as good as Melton. 
and we actually think, and, and, and I know for them, I think they didn't say it, but I think one of the things they were trying to get across in training camp was everybody's been talking about Melton for Roddy. We traded Melton for Roddy and Danny Green. And Danny Green is going to be an asset for this team, whether he plays and gets playoff minutes or whether we trade his contract. And they didn't say that, but I think that that is, I think they saw that move very much in the same way. They saw the trade JV, get Steven Adams, move up in the draft, everybody talking about it, moving up in the draft. Oh, by the way, Steven Adams is awesome and was awesome for us last year. And I think similarly, they think that Roddy's going to be awesome maybe down the line, but they also think that Conchar's pretty great and going to fill those De'Anthony Melton minutes, minutes well. And I think that they're tired of Kyle Anderson not being able to hit a three-point shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of mine is basically, speaking on Danny Green, the fact that he was kind of talked up a pretty good bit by like not just climbing, but like he was interviewed by the main media people, um, pretty extended interview. He also like was, you know, seen putting up shots in practice. I legitimately thought he was just a contract to match. I didn't think we were interested in him at all when we made the trade. And it seems like I'm wrong. Um, it seems like he is valued. Um, he even mentioned basically he had a conversation with Zach and Zach basically said, you're exactly what we want Like right now. We want a guy that can stretch the floor in the half court and also be like a veteran leader kind of thing. Um, and yes, that also came with matching contract and getting a first-round pick and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was kind of surprised um, at just how involved he seemed to be. So, And what were you saying earlier before we started recording about his press conference and one of the things that he was saying in that as it – Oh, yeah, so they talked about, um, someone asked him about, hey, you're, like, this is a team full of young players, and, like, you're obviously a veteran, you've been in the league a long time, like, kind of speak to that kind of thing, and he was basically like, yeah, I think it's my responsibility to, like, hold these guys accountable to an extent, he even referenced, like, they're they're on TikTok, and I need to tell them sometimes to get off of it, Um, so I think he is going to be the personality that's, like, strong enough to his voice carries weight. And I thought it was really interesting that they asked Ja after that about that comment about like he seems like this team was lacking maturity last year. Like, what do you say to that? And Ja was like, "Yeah, I agree with him. We probably were, and I'm glad he's here because he's going to help us with that. That's his that's his role as a veteran. So it's just like lockstep, and I think he is going to be valuable to us. My biggest thing is like I don't really see him playing. Like I don't see him have a role on our team, and I think I'm wrong in that." And that surprised me. No, no, I've been surprised. And I also think it's interesting that uh, Jaron, Bain, and Dylan all mentioned the fact that he's got the rings. They use that. They all three use that phrase. He got, he's got the rings when they're talking about Danny Green, which I thought was interesting as well. Mm. And if you were, if you follow Jay Crowder on Twitter, it's an interesting comparison because Jay Crowder said he was, there was this like stat muse tweet about how valuable he's been to every stop that he's been and he replied to it and said i'd trade all of it for a ring Mm. so there you go interesting comparison uh just emptying the notebook here for me uh jenkins was asked about kind of like all the the recognition that this team has gotten since he started 
and you know coach of the year conversation second best striker of the league etc and they asked him how he kind of responded to that and thought about that and he said i spent the whole summer stressing about what the first drill we're going to run at training camp and i just love that answer so, so much. i think that is screams to me when you talked about the difference between Kleiman's take on like mm-hmm. future playoffs all that kind of stuff and then when you reference that against Taylor Jenkins being like, well, I got to coach the regular season too. I think he's literally like one step at a time. And I think that is the way a head coach of a young team should be. And I think Kleiman also has the correct perspective from him, from his end, right? To be like, okay, we're here. We're close. We're knocking on the door. Like, what can I do to take a shot to get us closer to the end goal? But I, I love that too. Right. And, to, and to speak ahead. to that, and you actually, Will, you mentioned it, it might be might be stepping on some of your notes, but I mean, you mentioned the fact that that Kleiman went out of his way to talk about how he was excited they're getting a full G League season. Yes, which oh, I yeah, thought was, which I thought was hilarious. But that speaks to the point that for Kleiman, the G like a G League full season that's on his mind because what he's all about is development. And again, that goes back to our belief that they just think very differently when it comes to how they're filling out the roster. That he's somebody who gets excited about having young players develop in G league, you know, to speak to y'all's points, but I just had two more things. The first was, it was such a small phrase that Taylor Jenkins threw out there in his press conference, but it was the, the phrase care factor. He used that as like a metric. And I just love that. I love it as a, like a coach, like we need our care factor to be higher. You know, it's like that, that plays exactly. And I feel like ours is like every person on this team cares. And so it's like, Having that be, and I think that also is a really interesting lens to view who we go after in in different roster building, you know, situations. Uh, so I love that. And then the last thing I had was, yeah, the contrasting styles between Kleiman and and Jenkins. It just it just feels like a business. It's like they're running a business together in the most unique industry there is. And it's just this really interesting comparison between how. Kleiman is the CEO, big picture, and Jenkins is like the operator. He's the COO, just like making it happen on the ground. So I, I love how they complement. I love how they collaborate, but I also love their differences based on these press conferences. I thought that was really interesting. Anything else emptying the notebook from you guys that we failed to mention? I mean, I just, I mean, my only closing statement will be, I can't wait for the season to start, and I'm still trying to figure out uh, – how we ended up getting such an amazing team front office uh, and coach combo. I mean, like, I just think we really um, are blessed just with how awesome the vibes are and just how great this team is to follow. Yeah. I think they're probably, yeah. I I don't know. I think it's interesting that Para is like such a young billionaire CEO. And I think him like owning the team and putting the pieces together probably says a lot more than, a really old person being just like, oh, you know, I don't know. I think that's being willing to think differently. Yes. And, like, and go with what a, works for him. And he's like, this works for me. Let me put this yeah. in my front office. And like, here we go. Last, last thing. Twitter, I'm speaking directly to you. Feed me every bit of the Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, <laughs> Anthony Davis, Patrick Beverly content. Oh Cause gosh. I cannot wait to see it crash and burn within a month of the season starting. I cannot wait to see this team fall flat on their face yet again. The Lakers are going to be trash. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. And that's a good preview to our 
next one of our next podcasts, which is going to be our, our NBA futures bet extravaganza. Oh, yes, so y'all we still have to owe me something. By the way, we got to look. We got to check the yeah, tape that, again. There's no, you, there's no tape need to be checked. It's it's fact. Y'all owe me. I don't remember what it was, but it's something. I thought that I, I really genuinely thought that I might have won. You did definitely did not. Okay. Well, we're going to take a look. We're going to resolve this. Tune in next time to see who actually Tune won. In. Good good teaser here. Yeah. And then we're going to actually put in our, our NBA futures, which is going to be I a lot of fun. Grizz over under is always fun. Hammer the over, like I said. Hammer it, baby. All right. Well, we're going to close up shop for Ty, for Kraft. I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon.